Welcome to the Health Design Podcast. I am your host, Moyes Jiwa. Today, I'm happy to introduce Warren Care. Warren Care has specialized in the field of healthcare architecture, undertaking projects which have ranged in value from half a million to $2 billion. With formal qualifications in health administration and project facilitation, as well as architecture, he's uniquely qualified to undertake the planning and design of major health facilities. Very welcome to the show, Warren Care. We're absolutely honored to have you speaking with me today. We, we often have people who work at the interface between healthcare and design, and, and you're one of the key individuals. I'm delighted that we were introduced by our colleague, Diana Anderson. And I was amusing with you earlier that I would be introduced to a fellow West Australian by an American. <laughs> so if you were to look back on your career, can you remember the seminal moment in which you thought healthcare might be an area that might interest you? Well, I think that uh, at the time I didn't re- realise it, but when I was fortunate enough to win a, uh, a scholarship, a Commonwealth cadetship during my undergraduate studies, that set me on the course to healthcare design. In those days, the Commonwealth Government, through the then Commonwealth Department of Works, uh, offered cadetships to young architects and engineers who are wishing to uh, be both paid while or a scholarship while they were doing their studies. And then following that, the requirement was that you had to work for five years for the Commonwealth Department of Work. So I was doing my undergraduate architectural studies at the University of Western Australia in Perth. And then once that was completed, I took up the offer to uh, work with the Commonwealth Department of Works in their Perth headquarters. One of the first projects uh, I was assigned to was the redevelopment of a part of Hollywood Repat Hospital, the Repatriation Hospital in Perth. And this at the time was one of 16 hospitals run by the Repatriation Commission throughout Australia. It had been built in 1947, very hurriedly after the war, to actually treat all those coming back from the war with war injuries and had lasted basically until the 1970s without a great deal of additional work on it, but was getting to a point where it needed major remedial work and also uh, to update the facilities there to reflect best practice and healthcare delivery. As a result, I was asked to initially get involved in the design of a new outpatients clinic and a radio uh, radiology centre at the hospital. And being young and enthusiastic, I uh, became quite good friends with the librarian at the Commonwealth Department of Works, and she accessed all the various building notes and that had been put together by the Department of Health and Social Security in the UK. And by reading these and on nights and weekends reading books on hospital design, etc., I, I focused in on this area. And then once I'd successfully finished my first project, another project came up to do uh, new wards and theatres at uh, the Hollywood Hospital. And subsequently, they said, well, Warren knows a bit about this. He's done one health project already because the Commonwealth Government at that stage didn't do much work in the health field. So I was therefore asked to uh, do some more work in that field, and I enjoyed it. I found the people I uh, had as clients were people who had come into healthcare primarily to to do good and to help others. And that ended up with a a lovely range of people who were there to try and help humanity. So that was a a side issue. 
Besides which, the repatriation hospital at that time put on marvellous uh, morning and afternoon teas and for some reason all the meetings tended to be at that time and I can still recall the sort of warm scones coming into the meeting room and that was a, uh, a wonderful side benefit to a young architect in those days. So at that stage, after I had been working in the health area for a couple of years, the Commonwealth Government, and this was at the time when the Whitlam Government was in power, they had set up the Hospitals Development Program, which was a major Commonwealth initiative under that government to upgrade and uh, relocate many of the older health facilities throughout Australia. And as part of that, they were seeking to set up a specialist hospital design group based in Canberra. Um, as one of the few people in the Commonwealth Department of Works with hospital design experience, I indicated that I'd be interested in pursuing that course. And uh, given that it was a promotion within the uh, Commonwealth Department of Works structure, I was fortunate enough in being selected for that. And uh, at that time, the Commonwealth Department of Works head office was in Melbourne, but I was outposted to the Commonwealth Department of Health in Canberra and uh, worked very closely with one of the seminal people in health planning in Australia, Dr. Sidney Sachs. He had set up the uh, National Hospital and Health Services Commission, often known as the Sachs Commission, and uh, wrote a book in 1974, Hospitals in Australia, which was the first research work looking at the number of hospitals, the number of beds, the, the, the population ratio of, of population to beds. And uh, I think at that stage, from memory, it was something in the order of 4.5 or 5 beds per 100,000. It was a, a quite a large figure, but it was the first time that anyone had documented the provision of healthcare across Australia. As we all know, the healthcare delivery in Australia is organised by the state governments and is very rarely organised at a national level. The Commonwealth Department of Repatriation and the Veterans Affairs Hospitals were one of the few healthcare services run and organised at a national level. So uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, be appointed to this specialist group and as part of that, I had the opportunity to work on projects throughout Australia based in Canberra. And um, subsequent to that, after experience in that uh, field for a few years, they asked me to um, go on what was known as the Hospital Architects Training Scheme. And this was a specialist scheme set up by the Department of Works to ensure that architects who specialised in this field had an understanding of how hospitals operated and were managed. And um, I was outposted to various hospitals to work in uh, neonatal intensive care units, on the wards, in administrative areas, to understand how goods and services were delivered throughout the hospital, etc. And that gave me a, a wonderful insight into the operation of hospitals. I then came to a point where I uh, recognised in some of the interactions I had with my healthcare clients that often they weren't understanding fully the implications of the decisions they were making. And I can remember one very frustrating involvement where we had had a meeting on a Friday afternoon and the client had said, well, ideally we'd like 
this department and that unit and this all to be very closely allied with this particular area that we're doing. These linkages are absolutely vital for the efficient delivery of healthcare. And I spent the entire weekend working on this to try and get the best outcome. And I've then met with them the following Tuesday, I think it was, and said, listen, I've worked all weekend, I've worked on Monday, I can do this one and that one, or we can do this and this, but I can't do everything in the relationship that you looked at, you required. And one looked at the other and said, oh, Bob, I think, you know, the reflecting upon what Warren said, the, the two uh, ones we told him were absolutely essential on Friday, they, they're not really that important. Let's go for these other two. And, I, and I'd spent the entire weekend trying to, you know, solve the the brief, the problem that they'd actually outlined to me. And I thought, well, I, I don't want to pursue my career and do that without having that understanding of the intricacies of healthcare. So I then applied for a scholarship to do a master's degree in in health design, and I was fortunate enough in being selected for uh, one at Cornell in the US. But um, at that time, I'd, because I was working in daily concert with the senior people in the Sachs Commission, I talked it over with them, and they said, Warren, you need to understand that the American healthcare system is vastly different from, from what we do. And uh, if we're going to actually have a... Uh, an appropriate hospitals for Australia, you need to understand the Australian healthcare system. And their recommendation to me was that I would be better off doing a master's in health administration and understand the Australian requirements. So I put in and was successful in, in winning a Commonwealth scholarship to do the master's in health planning course at the University of New South Wales, which at that time was the preeminent school of uh, health administration in Australia. And that gave me a very good understanding of uh, healthcare systems and in, not only in Australia, but part of the unit, one of the units was comparative healthcare systems and working overseas, uh, how, how different systems impacted on their healthcare delivery. And so that gave me the foundation to actually appreciate that the building is really just like a surgeon's scalpel. It's only a tool to be used in the delivery of healthcare, not an end in itself. And therefore, my philosophy of healthcare planning and design has always been to work out what we are trying to do in the delivery of healthcare services, not necessarily the building as an end in itself. So I hope that gives you an understanding of the, the path I took to end up with the qualifications that I now possess. Yeah, no, that, that's very helpful. But I'm, I'm really reflecting as you talk on how much will have changed in the time that you'd gone from starting out with that brief at the repatriate hospital to what you now do and, and what you've done since then. You must have seen an enormous difference in the way that healthcare seemingly is meeting the needs of the people that work and are treated in those buildings. Absolutely. And in fact, one of the seminal moments uh, in 2007, I was fortunate enough to be selected. Uh, I had the, the wonderful opportunity to put the architectural team together for the Fiona Stanley Hospital in Perth. And on that project, we recommended as part of our bid to become the architects for that project. Um, this was a $2 billion project, so we could afford to bring in the, the best people from around the world. And we selected Roger Ulrich who was a person who in 1984 had started 
researching evidence-based design. So basically the impact of the building on healthcare delivery and some of his early work started very simply. One of them was just uh, having researching a cohort of patients who were looking out at beautiful views in in uh, natural surrounds compared to people who looked at a brick wall. And he found that the ones who had the views of nature recovered quicker, had shorter lengths of stay, used less medicines and painkillers, etc. And uh, Roger had gone on to virtually establish evidence-based design at the Texas A&M University as one of the foundations of modern architectural design for hospitals. And we were delighted when he accepted our invitation and uh, worked with us on the Fiona Stanley Hospital in Perth. He used to fly across for a week at a time and we'd use the knowledge and research that he had acquired and his colleagues uh, had acquired to uh, improve the design of that that facility. Mm. How has that been reflected in, in the design of the hospital? Well, one of the aspects that he had done a lot of research in was the difference between having single patient rooms compared to multi-patient uh, rooms. And for many years in the repatriation hospital, I mean, they basically the, the early wards of the early hospitals built just after the war were what we call nightingale wards, where basically an entire ward of beds were in one large room. Uh, over time, that had got down where generally the brief for an Australian hospital was some six-bed ward, some four-bed ward, some two-bed wards, and then probably only uh, half a dozen rooms that were single-bed and used for the, the sickest and uh, uh, patients who, who needed uh, the, the greatest supervision, and they were normally located closest to the nurses' station. He actually looked at the implications of cross-infection, uh, lack of sleep through dis- disturbing noises during the night, the, uh, a whole range of factors. And because the large awards were cheaper in capital costs, they were favoured by those who just looked at the capital cost of facilities. He looked at the operational cost of facilities and was able to prove to the client on the Fiona Stanley Hospital project that within five years, the additional cost of having single bedrooms in this hospital, and we have 783 patient rooms, patient beds in Fiona Stanley Hospital, so a considerable number. And uh, he recommended and they accepted the recommendation that we increase the number of single bedrooms from 23%, which was in the original brief, up to 83%. There are still some two bedrooms because for various Indigenous patients, they often like to have uh, some some comfort and some uh, familiarity with other people in the room at the time. But to go from that number of uh, single beds right up to that amount, it was a major step for the government to take and has resulted in Fiona Stanley being at the forefront of evidence-based design in Australia. Okay, that, that's a brilliant example. The thing, so single beds almost becoming the norm, or in fact are the norm at the Fiona Stanley Correct. Hospital. Okay. What other things? You talked there about patients being able to see outside and enjoy their, enjoy their natural surroundings. Now, I know the Fiona Stanley is in an area where that is possible. It's quite a lot of green space around the hospital. Has that been factored into the design of the hospital? 
Uh, yes, it has. Uh, we were very fortunate to have a, a greenfield site. In fact, I think I was the only architect on the team who had actually worked on the design of two hospitals for that site. In 1978, there was going to be, uh, I was part of the Lakes Hospital design team, which at that time was done by Llewellyn Davies, Weeks, Forrester, Walker and Boar out of London, who uh, had their byline as health architects to the Commonwealth. And they were brought in by the state government. And we did a uh, schematic and concept design for that site. But uh, at the time, the government didn't proceed with that because of the cost of that. But on the Fiona Stanley Hospital project, what we did do was go through and uh, we harvested all the beautiful trees that were on, on that site and then their seeds we planted. And during the seven-year gestation project uh, time for this project, we were able to uh, grow those plants and as part of our design, we had a podium and tower blocks for the wards, but on the top of the podium, we spent quite a uh, deal of time designing a uh, an outdoor roof garden, and many of the seedlings that we'd established were then regrown in that uh, outdoor roof garden so that patients in their uh, single bedrooms could look out and not just see a, a bland uh, roof of the podium, but have a, a, a garden and trees and courtyards. And as part of our design, we included a number of courtyards within the hospital, both as orientating wayfinding devices, but also so that everyone could have a, a look at daylight and the beautiful trees that uh, predominate on that site and be orientated as they go through the hospital. That sounds amazing. And then in terms of the other evidence-based design issues, you, you, you've mentioned the rooms, you mentioned the clearly the, the use of nature within the build and around the build. Were there other things that were radically different in Fiona Stanley compared to, say, the QE2 in Perth? We utilised a standard approach to room design so that when nursing staff came into a room, you always knew where the, the, the gas outlets were and the uh, various equipment and apparatus that you re require. So a nurse in an emergency would rush into a room, didn't have to look around and work out where things were. They were always there. Um, we also... Um, utilise some of Roger's research in making available um, beds as part of a settee for relatives to stay overnight so that there was a welcoming environment for relatives rather than the old days where visitors were only uh, permitted during a couple of hours in the morning and afternoon. The idea was because we had were forecasting the future is that as nursing costs and labour costs became more expensive, that the relatives who could be in the room and do things such as help with a, uh, obtaining a glass of water or monitor the patient or ring if they were starting to have adverse circumstances, etc. We wanted to make their life and their comfort uh, a key priority and therefore we designed a portion of the room so that the relatives could not only sleep there at night but perhaps plug in their laptop or their electronic device, continue with their connections to their workaday world or their families, et cetera, but be part of the caring process and provide that um, support that the many patients need during a, a period of acute hospital stay. Yes. So making their, the relatives part of the team. Absolutely, yes. 
and trying to encourage them to come in and stay for periods, not to get underfoot, but uh, to be there in a supportive way, both for the patient's emotional support, but also to assist with the uh, the more, men- not menial activities, but the easily to uh, service activities such as water and food and perhaps sit down and if the patient has a bandaged arm, it might be feeding them when a meal arrives or something of that nature. What about things like sound? We often hear, you know, hospitals are a place that are difficult to rest because of the dinging and the sirens and the whatever other noises are happening. Has that been taken into account in this particular design? Uh, it certainly has. We, uh, I mean, the, the single bedroom itself obviously is a uh, a major uh, acoustic a cell, an isolator that provides a, a restful night's sleep for many people because the doors can be closed and therefore you uh, have a similar environment to that which you might be used to in your home at night rather than being in a four or a six bed ward with someone bringing in bedpans and in and out or a patient uh, who's in distress uh, keeping you awake. So, but as part of the uh, overall design, we we paid particular attention to the acoustics of the room, the acoustic surfaces, sound absorbent surfaces, to ensure that we minimise the uh, the noise throughout the ward and in in the rooms where the patients were sleeping. Now, two billion dollars is a, a lot of money in anyone's pocket. But how difficult was it to persuade the funders to to take some quite radical steps in redesigning uh, a national, you know, public hospital? Well, originally the budget was one point two seven six million, and that was for the Fiona Stanley Hospital itself. Um, as I indicated, we then the government took a decision to go from twenty three percent of uh, single bedrooms to eighty three percent. And that required an extra $600 million that had all been calculated. They agreed with that, and so the budget went up. And then um, when we had originally done the... uh, the first stage of the hospital design was a master plan looking at future stages on the site. And one of those stages was to bring the rehabilitation hospital from north of the river to the Fiona Stanley site. And during the Rudd era, when the um, they were looking to roll out an incentive program for builders and uh, stimulate the construction site, they agreed to put in $255 million to uh, fund that aspect. So when you added those up, you came out with just over $2 billion. That was our budget. The first amount had actually been put aside by the government and was virtually in a a separate deposit. And we were told that this is the budget, there isn't any more. And we therefore designed within that budget. And uh, I'm pleased to say that at the end of the project, after uh, six and a half years, we delivered the project ahead of schedule and and within the budget that we'd been allocated. So that was a, a very good result on a project, which was the largest building project ever undertaken in Western Australia. Wonderful. So looking back on, on an illustrious career, what would you say is your, your, your brightest moment, as it were, in terms of the redesign and your contribution to the redesign of these places that we call hospitals? Well, I'm hoping that that's yet to come in terms of uh, one of the initiatives I'm working on at the moment is setting up a master's degree program in hospital planning and design in Australia. At the moment, there is no master's degree program in that field in any state of Australia. But uh, what I have done is during, I've had 
that um, in addition to my career in health architecture, I've also been uh, quite active in the Institute of Architects and uh, ended up as national president for a period. And during that period in 2004, 2005, because I had uh, the entree to speak to all the various state governments, I was able to put forward an initiative that we actually set up one standard set of regulations and guidelines for hospital design in Australia. Up until that point, each state had its own standards and regulations and uh, were entirely separate. So, Ham Charlie, my practice is a national practice and I would be reviewing drawings from Queensland and South Australia and Victoria. And, uh, and initially I would say, oh, no, you can't. Oh, you can in Victoria, you're allowed to do that, but you're not allowed to do that in Queensland. And it seemed crazy to me that in a country of, at that time, 20 million people, that we would uh, have so many different systems and standards. So I was able to be part of a group that convinced the various state governments to form a national entity and to set up the Australasian Health Facility Guidelines. And um, that was initially undertaken by the University of New South Wales as a research project on behalf of the state governments and the Commonwealth Government and the New Zealand Government, uh, the New Zealand Ministry of Health. And uh, in November, we started that on the 1st of January 2005, and in November 2006, we had a major celebration because that was the first time that we were able to deliver a national health, the Australasian uh, health facility guidelines, which were then being utilised by all, all states in Australia. So that was one milestone in, in that path towards having a, a national approach to healthcare design. The second part of that is to have a national research centre looking at many of these areas because at the moment we don't have that. And the third part of that is to set up this master's degree program to recognise that particularly in hospital design that it's not so much the the building cost, $2 billion sounds a lot for Fiona Stanley Hospital, but it is costing five or six hundred million dollars a year to run, to operate. So if we can actually come up with a design aspect that saves in an operating cost, that's when the large cost savings are going to accrue to uh, the, the clients that we serve. So as part of that, I've uh, in the final stages of having approvals from Texas A&M University in the United States and the University of, which, of Western Australia in in WA, and uh, we're hoping to have a memorandum of understanding signed in the next couple of months and then advertise for the first cohort of students. And we hope to get that uh, international dual degree uh, master's program up and operational by June 2021. And so that will fulfil my dream of actually having a program with a knowledge and expertise that myself and other colleagues have acquired over a, a, a lifetime, a career, can actually then be reinvested in younger practitioners who have the knowledge and skills uh, on that best practice approach to actually go forward and, and do great architecture in this field. Yes, that sounds very, very exciting. And I was just reflecting on the fact that if you walk into any town in this country or, or anywhere else for that matter, and you happen to be unfortunate enough to be admitted to hospital, the chances are you're going to end up on a nightingale ward. You're not going to get very much sleep. There's going to be lots of noise. There's going to be lots that will not feel conducive to healing 
and as and is not evidence based. Looking forward uh, now into the next ten years, do you think we'll come to a point when that will be almost a place that you'd go to visit a museum as opposed to a hospital? <laughs> I hope so. Um, one of the projects I was invited to get involved in uh, New Zealand had a, uh, a hospital which had basically been developed on a large rambling site over uh, a hundred-year period at ten-year intervals, and you were able to. It was like a hospital architecture museum, and you had some Nightingale wards, and then the next iteration, and then the next iteration, and they had at that time uh, left those various wards, and some were being used as stores and for various other uh, factors, but the entire architecture of that hospital had been, uh, up until recently, was all, all extant on that site. It was a wonderful uh, physical museum of the, the stages that hospital architecture had gone through over the past century. Yes, we very much hope that those wards that we've described will become part of some museum and that for patients yet to end up in hospital, and goodness knows with the chronic disease epidemics that we're experiencing, more and more of us are going to need hospital at some point, that the work that you've done will make an enormous difference to us all. Well, I hope so. Uh, I think I see the challenge coming up is the integration of artificial intelligence and the linkage between the the machines that are now getting larger and more complex and how they can be integrated into hospital design so that we can actually um, merge both hospital architecture and healthcare delivery and uh, artificial intelligence and, and robots and uh, automatic guided vehicles so they're a comprehensive whole rather than an add-on to hospital architecture. Sounds like evidence-based design has a way to go because just as soon as you've thought you've got to the point where you know what evidence-based is, suddenly the evidence is, a new evidence is required because the very business of doctoring, the business of healing has changed in itself. I think that's one of the strengths of evidence-based design is that you're continually doing research in that field and making that available. And uh, Roger Ulrich and his um, uh, colleagues in the US, Craig Zimmerman, have also put together a number of studies looking at the, the research studies. My uh, colleague at Texas A&M, Kirk Hamilton, has founded the uh, a journal in the US with a very similar title to the Journal of Health Design, but it's called HERD, the Health Environments Research and Design Journal. And that is, Kirk founded that mainly to actually provide an opportunity for people who were physiotherapists or doctors or nurse planners or architects or engineers to all have one journal in which those research results and those outcomes could be disseminated to practitioners in this field. Warren Kerr, it's been a great honour speaking with you today. I think we could keep talking all afternoon, but we're going to have to stop there. We wish you all the very best with your endeavour. And, and I think you're right. I think your contribution to healthcare and architecture hasn't quite peaked yet. <laughs> Thank you very much for the opportunity to talk with you. Thank you. The Journal of Health Design. Better health by design. Visit us at thejournalofhealthdesign.com. <laughs>